good to see you here. Five o'clock service, and we are in the midst of a series taking us through November on uh, the principles of the Spirit. We heard earlier that next Sunday is a special Sunday because we are celebrating Thanksgiving next Sunday, and then the Wednesday after next Sunday is our special Wednesday evening Thanksgiving service. And at that service, uh, we spend time hearing from testimonies from the congregation, and we have a special time of praise and thanksgiving. The whole evening is thanksgiving. And uh, we also, at the end of the service, bring people bring dried fruits and tins and cans, and we can take that to the local charities in the community to help people over the winter time. And on Sunday and Wednesday, we give people opportunities to give a special Thanksgiving offering. Uh, This is over and above what we normally give. It's just a special thank you to Jesus. And so on the way out at the end, uh, there'll be little green Thanksgiving offerings. If you want to take one away ready for next week, uh, that's up to you. And then next week, there'll be opportunities for people to uh, do that. Well, we're looking at principles of walking in the Spirit and principles of the School of the Spirit in this month and uh, then we, before you realize it, it's going to be December. And just to sort of let you know what we'll be doing here at the five o'clock teaching service in December, the three Sundays before Christmas, we're going to have a mini-series. And what we're going to be doing is looking at the Christmas story in different Gospels. So we're going to be having a look at Christmas according to Matthew, Christmas according to Luke, and Christmas according to John. And, uh, of course, they're all talking about the same events and there's overlapping, but it's interesting to see the different emphases. Uh, What does Matthew emphasize out of the story of Christ's birth and why? What does Luke emphasize and why? What's God saying through it? And uh, how does John present the coming of Jesus? I'm glad it's only three weeks uh, because I was thinking to myself, if this is a four Sunday, how am I going to do Mark? Because if you've ever read the first chapter of Mark, there's not much Christmas story in it, is there? And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do Mark? Uh, Maybe I could do a bit longer on Matthew or something. And then, praise God, there's only three weeks in December till Christmas anyway. So um, it's all going to work out. But I think you'll find it uh, interesting and exciting because God gave us the four Gospels for a reason, didn't he? And so when we look at Matthews and Luke's and John, we're going to really bring out different dimensions of uh, the same story. At the uh, 7 o'clock Holy Spirit fire service tonight, we're going to be continuing just waiting on the Lord, giving time to the Holy Spirit to do what he wants, seeking God, and seeing what God wants to do with the word of knowledge and gifts of the Spirit and healings. And um, we're going to be reporting a little bit about what happened last Sunday. There were some great things that took place. And uh, I believe I've got a word as well a prophetic word to share on the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I just want to speak that into people's lives, that word of assurance, and then we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Uh, But we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit at the moment. And you might like to turn, if you have your Bibles, to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Galatians 5 verse 22. Last week, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, but we looked at the fruit of the Spirit focusing really on James chapter 3, the end of James chapter 3, going into James chapter 4. Now, James calls the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians, his term for it is wisdom from above. 
And he uses terms like the wisdom from above is peaceable and agreeable and uh, uh, pure. And so James speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's wisdom from above. But here we see Paul speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's a misconception about the fruit of the Spirit that uh, if you have the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to start going through today, that it means that you can't be bold or strong in any aspect. You know, when you look at such words there as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, people say, oh, well, well if you've got the fruit, then uh, you'll never confront anybody about any issue, because why would you confront somebody if you had the fruit of gentleness? So if someone's confronted, then they'd say, oh, that's not the fruit of the Spirit, that's not gentleness. But remember that the person who had most of the fruit of the Spirit was who? Jesus. Jesus had the fullness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, notice how Jesus deals with different people in different ways. So to those that were caught in sin, to those that were sinners and tax gatherers, he was very gentle to, wasn't he? And uh, I mean, he went to have a meal with Zacchaeus. Nobody else in the crowd have had a meal with Zacchaeus. Why? Because he was a thief and a stealer and cheating people out of the money. But Jesus didn't call him, woe to you, O Zacchaeus, you tax gatherer and thief, did he? He said, Zacchaeus, come around to your house for a meal. You see, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to heal those that need healing. Now, who was Jesus strong with? The Pharisees. I mean, you look at some very strong passages where Jesus confronted Pharisaism. Woe to you, O Pharisees. Do you remember? He's got the, the Beatitudes, but the woes. And he was very tough with the Pharisees. Very tough with the Pharisees. Well, does that mean that he didn't have the fruit of the Spirit at that time? No, not at all. But you see, when legalism or when religiosity rears its head, it's very ugly. And so Jesus was always strong to confront those that were in leadership or those that thought that they were upstanding leaders in the church, when he saw legalism or, uh, or, or, or pomposity or, or lack of openness to God, he hit it head on, didn't he? Notice also that in Galatians, Paul does the same. He's going to speak about the fruit of the Spirit, but what does he say to the, to the Galatians? He says, you foolish Galatians, in chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. And then right at the beginning of Galatians, he is extremely strong with them when he speaks to them. And he says to you, I marvel that you're turning so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So you can see that Paul and Jesus are extremely strong against legalism, which is outward religion that has nothing of the heart. Very strong. They confront it. They're not gentle about that. They confront that where they see it. Notice that Paul was very different with the Corinthians. He had all manner of vice that was going on in the Corinthians church, didn't he? I mean, there was adultery and all sorts of things. And yet he was a lot more gentle with the Corinthians. He still dealt with the issues. A lot more gentle with the Corinthians than he was with the Galatians. And when he begins to speak about those leaders, what he calls the Judaizers in Galatians, uh, he, he says, I mean, I can hardly even repeat what he says in the Greek. 
But when they wanted to circumcise the, um, the, the Galatians, Paul said, those leaders, they should mutilate themselves. And in the Greek, it basically means to uh, make themselves eunuch. So, I mean, that's pretty tough, isn't it? So Paul is saying, you tell those legalists that are bringing you legalism that instead of trying to circumcise you, they should take a knife and make themselves eunuchs. That's strong stuff, isn't it? So I don't want you to think that the fruit of the Spirit is somehow some doormat mentality. Um, And all of these things are very powerful fruits, but when it comes to legalism or false leaders or outward religion, then Jesus was very strong on that. But when it came to people that were caught in sin, people that were tax gatherers, people that were all over the place, he was extremely gentle. Do you see that picture? I say that because sometimes people say, well, you know, Jesus was so strong on the Pharisees, he wasn't very nice to the Pharisees. No, because they weren't very nice. You see, there are certain things that God hates. Do you know that? You say, oh, God hates all sin. Yes, but there's some sins that he hates more than others. And right on the top of the list of God's sins are pride, haughtiness, and false leadership. That, that's, that's the top of his list. God hates pride three, four, five times more than anything else. He hates haughtiness. But God loves humility. So if we were to continue in James, when we look from the wisdom that was from above, the wisdom that from below was selfish, jealous, puffed up. And then we go into James chapter 4, and he's speaking to the people, and he's saying, look, humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so this is a very important principle that we have to understand. Paul wrote the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the fruit of the Spirit. But there were times when they confronted issues. They didn't confront the sinners. Did you notice that? They loved the sinners. They had mercy and grace. He had meals with them. But those that thought that they weren't sinners, those that would condemn everybody else's sin, talk about everybody else's problems. Oh, do you know about this person? Do you know about that person? Do you know, I bet you don't know who did that and who did that. Jesus was as strong as anybody with those. But those that were broken and sin and struggling, he was gentle as a shepherd, wasn't he? So when we come into these words here, the fruit of the Spirit, I want to go into these in a little bit more detail today, having set that important balance. And we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Now, interestingly, there is no law. So, in order to live by the Holy Spirit, free from legalism and laws and regulations and the law of Moses, in order to do that, you walk by the Spirit. So, in other words, if you are cultivating or focusing on these graces, on these characteristics, on the inside in your heart then you are free from any laws. You, you, don't need, you don't need to be told, love thy neighbor, uh, when you've got the fruit of the Spirit. You don't need to be told, don't steal, 
when you've got the fruit of the Spirit. You don't need these things. And so rather than looking at do this, don't do that, laws, regulations, what a Christian should do, what a Christian shouldn't do, what we should really be doing is looking into our heart and seeing these characteristics and growing in these characteristics. You won't do it over, oh, oh, overnight. Uh, one of the problems on speaking about the fruit of the Spirit is that as soon as Pharisees hear you f- speak on fruit of the Spirit or hear us emphasizing on fruit of the Spirit, they start to wag fingers. Well, where's your patience there? Where's your love there? Where's your lo- Take your law away. Take your law away. You can't point a finger at me. You're not my judge. Take your fin- Why don't you take your finger and point it at you? So the fruit of the Spirit is something that we're all working on, that we're pursuing, that we're allowing to grow with us, and that comes through the circumstances that we go through. It's not the nine laws of the Spirit. Nine laws. Be more loving. Be more joyful. Be more peaceful. Try harder at patience. Count to ten when you go through a difficulty. Be kinder. Come on. Where's the goodness? Where's your faithfulness? Where's your gentleness? Where's your self-control? Oh, I've got to try harder, try harder. The moment you try harder, you've missed it. You've just got nine new laws. Moses had ten, now you've got nine. And you're just simply going to get into the same old bondage because you will try to be kind. And it's not that. It's got to come from your heart. And you see, what, what I mean by that is that God will do these works in your heart through the circumstances that you go through. Every circumstance you're in, and every circumstance that you go through, good, bad, or indifferent, is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart. It's an opportunity for the fruit, or it's an opportunity for the flesh. And you can choose. This is why the fruit of the Holy Spirit cannot be produced in your life without a prayer life. You need a prayer life to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Because what happens when something happens to you and you're offended? What happens when something happens to you and you're angry? What happens when something happens to you and you're bitter? What happens when something happens to you and you get jealous? You know, it happens to us all. These feelings can come to us all, every single one of us. These feelings of jealousy or bitterness or anger or unforgiveness, all these things that are of the flesh, all these things that that, that we speak about, gossiping, these things can come into all of our hearts, the temptation. So what do you do? Well, the only way is to take these feelings to God. You see, it's not like, oh, I'm really angry or I'm bitter. Oh, well, I'll just try not to be bitter. Won't work. You've got to say, God, I've got this thing in my heart right now. I've got this judgmentalism. I've got this bitterness. I've got this anger. I've got this frustration. God, I'm bringing it to you. This isn't right. I don't like it. This isn't going to work. What if this stuff comes out of my mouth? God, help me. I'm coming to you, Lord. And then God can do a work and you can begin to say, do you know, I don't need to be bitter because I've got you, Lord. I can forgive because you've forgiven me. You begin to talk to the Lord. And if you have close friends that love you, you, then you can say, pray for me, I'm struggling a little bit. Not gossiping about what you're bitter about, but 
help me. I'm, and then what God will do is in that relationship with God, he will help you deal with that bitterness. He will help you deal with that anger. He will help you deal with that judgment. You're taking it to God. You're saying, God, I've got, this is in my heart. You're not denying it, are you? You're not pushing it down to, I am not bitter. Arr. I am not angry. Arr. You're not just pushing it down. And de- this is not denial. That will, you'll end up a Pharisee. See? You just say, I'm not bitter. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Who says? Me. Well, so evident you are. No, you have to just take these and say, God, I'm bringing these things to you. So, I know in my life that when I start to get angry or bitter or feel that I've been hard done by, I know I need to take that to God. Because if I don't, I'm going to make a mistake. And I do make mistakes. We all make mistakes. It's not about getting 100% grade. This is about growing and developing something inside you, isn't it? It's like an athlete training. An athlete goes into training. You don't expect them to, to you know, <laughs> win the gold medal the next day. And if they don't win the gold medal the next day, then they should give up. No, this is a developing. This is a process that goes on in our life. And so when we take these to God, sometimes it takes a while. And sometimes you have to keep taking these things, these fleshly things, back to God. There's times when I've taken things back to God and, and, and thought, yes, I've prayed that through. And then within, by the end of the day, I need to take it back to him again. Why? Because I've still got issues that are going on in my life. Do you hear me? This is a work in the heart. It's not a to-do list. It's not legalism. It's saying, Holy Spirit, will you work in my heart? Will you partner with me? And you know, as you do that, you will grow and develop as a person. Because God works from the inside out. That's why Jesus didn't judge people on their actions. He looked into their heart. He looked into their heart. Pharisees judged people on their actions. Pharisees went around, did you see Zacchaeus? Oh, do you know that prostitute? They judge people on their actions. They haven't got time for hearts. They're hard, judgment. And then they judge themselves on their outward actions. But Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, you know, what they're doing is not actually wrong, but their heart is full of snakes. You see what I'm saying? So let's take these fruit. Let's go through them. The first thing to say is, The fruit of the Spirit, I said there are nine, but really there are eight. Because the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It doesn't say in your Bibles, the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is all about love. Now this is really helpful. Because the whole of the Christian life is meant to be about love. I mean, this commandment I give to you, that you love one another. I mean, it was basically the only commandment, really, that Jesus gave us. He gave us the Great Commission, which was to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but he gave us the Great Command, which is to love one another. By this they will know that you are my disciples, because you do signs and wonders, because you preach well, because you feed the poor. Well, maybe, but because you love one another. That was the problem in the Corinthians. They were loving the power, they were loving the gifts. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul speaks again about love. It's the fruit of the Spirit again in 1 Corinthians 13. So when we're talking about love, 
Often, people really don't know what love is. It's very difficult. What is love? It'd be interesting to go on the streets and do one of those Vox Pops things with, you know, videos and say, you know, what, what is love to this person? What is love to somebody else? And maybe they'd get some things right or maybe they, they would think it was some sort of emotional thing or attractional thing. What is love? And I think sometimes in the Christian church, we're saying, well, you know, we're meant to love one another, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Love looks like Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the manifestations of love. So when you talk about how much God loves you, you say, well, God loves you. Is it just a feeling? Oh, I just feel the love of God. Well, that can happen, can't you? But what does it mean God loves you? Oh, God loves you because he sent his son to die for you. But what does it mean that God is loving you on a daily basis? What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to love your husband and wife? What does it mean to love your children? What does it mean to love? Well, as we grow in love, we will be kinder to one another, more peaceful with one another, more patient with one another, more joyful, more good to one another, more faithful to one another, and have more self-control. That's what love looks like. So I'm going to go through some of these and just unpack them a little bit because sometimes these words that are here are very different in the original Greek. And uh, people look at these fruit and they look at these and they think joy. Oh, that must be what I think is joy. Oh, I've experienced peace. Oh, that must just be going up on a mountainside and, and becoming a hermit or a monk or, or patience. Oh, that's counting to ten before you tear a strip off somebody. Or, or kindness. Oh, that's just being English and polite, and not jumping the queue. That's what kindness is, and goodness. And so people come to these fruits of the Spirit with all their own preconceived ideas. But the fruits of the Spirit are supernatural. You can't exhibit or grow any of these fruits in your life without the Holy Spirit. Someone says, oh, I was always a patient boy. I was always commented, I was, pa I was patient before I was a Christian. You didn't have this patience. Or, you know, I was generous, I was always a generous woman. I, I was generous, I was known to be generous. Even before I became a Christian, I was It's not this kind of generous and goodness. It's not this kind. You, you can't produce it. This comes, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That's why, in order for these to come forth, you can't, you, you can't, I mean, we could go, I could go, and sometimes people speak, I could go to a bunch of non-Christians and say, okay, and, and, and say, here's some things I'd like you to, I'd like you to be kind to one another, uh, good to one another, faithful to one another, and they could do a pretty good earthly job on it, couldn't they? That is not what we're talking about today. You see, if it was, then you would never need to take these things to the Holy Spirit. If, you, if it was, you would never need the Holy Spirit, would you? You'd just try better, do better, try harder, just be a bit more disciplined. So if this wasn't supernatural, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. This is why, unless you are increasingly relying on God, and find yourself leaning on him, in dealing with issues and dealing with people, unless you're increasingly leaning on God, then you are not growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And when people talk about holiness, holiness is simply growing in the fruit of the Spirit. 
You say, well, I don't have many of these fruits of the Spirit. Don't worry. Just begin to put your focus on them. God, begin, begin. What I nearly did today was I nearly taught the reverse. Because what you can do as well to know what the fruits of the Spirit are is go to the works of the flesh. So when you go to the works of the flesh, and, and in verse 20, you know, hatred, arguments, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, uh, um, dissensions, heresies. Well, those things are the opposite. So you know that if you've got jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, uh, if you're a gossiper or these things, you know that you need to take those things to the Lord. So if jealousy is a work of the flesh, what's the opposite to jealousy, do you think? Anyone? Pardon? Selflessness, did you say? Yeah, okay, selflessness. So the opposite to jealousy is selflessness. Or the opposite to jealousy is to rejoice in someone else's success, yeah. So you can go, uh, and I've been doing this and thinking in my own mind, to the works of the flesh here and the wisdom from below in James chapter 3, and you can look at the negatives and say, well, what's their positive? And if you have your negatives in your life, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to work on. And sometimes God will put you in pressure situations to show you what's in your heart. This is why Peter says, you know, your faith is like gold tried through fire. This is why Peter calls it a fiery trial. Why? Because you don't know what's in your heart till it's tested. Isn't that right? So you'll be put through tests, and, you, and sometimes, and God will increase the temperature. Because if you put gold in just a little bit of heat, nothing surfaces. You have to turn up the heat and turn up the heat. The more you turn up the heat, the more the impurities rise. And so sometimes you end up in times of pressure, and, and then that pressure brings things to the surface. This is why it's difficult. This is why... It's very difficult to judge other people's progress in the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because you don't know the pressures that they're under. So you might be under very little pressure and walking around like you're Jesus. <laughs> you might be loving and kind and, and, and patient, but under very little pressure. And then you come across somebody who's got pressures in their lives that you have no idea about. No idea what they're going through behind the scenes. No idea where they've come from in life. No idea what's going on on the inside. And they are under tremendous pressure. And they're a bit irritable. Or they lose their temper. And you under little pressure go, oh, look at that. Call that the fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> what would happen to you if you were under their pressures? You see what I'm saying? So we can encourage one another in the fruits of the Spirit... We can encourage people to go to their heart. All you can do is ask people to go to the Spirit in their heart. But we have to be careful to judge others. Oh, that person's not very patient. Yes, but they're under 200 times more pressure than you are at this moment. How would you do if we just turned up a little bit of pressure? Put a little bit more responsibility on your life. A little bit more difficulty in your family life. A little bit more, you know what I'm saying? So we have to remember that. The fruit of the Spirit is about you and your heart. It's like Jesus saying, don't spend your time looking at the specks in other people's eyes, yeah? 
with a big plank in yours. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that, that you've got a massive plank and they've got a speck? No, what it means is that you don't know, you're looking at a speck in their eyes. You can't judge what they're going through. So if you are going to help them, you go, to, you go and help them, help them deal with things in the heart. Don't whack them with a baseball bat, because if you're in their situation, you might be three or four times as bad. Don't look at the speck in other people's eyes. Look at the plank in your own. What the plank just means is God is saying, focus on your own heart and let others you see, this is the thing. We want to work out everybody else's lives. God just says, you work out my life and I'll do whatever. If you want to pray for somebody, fine. If you want to bless somebody and speak good to them, and, uh, and fine. But you, your job is your heart, not other people's hearts. Not unless you're going to come and, uh, and give them, you know, leaders are meant to speak into people's hearts. But we have to be very careful about judging people. But then again, that doesn't mean that we can't speak into someone's heart. How open are you to be spoken to by the right person? You can close yourself off. And the only speak person that speaks into your heart is your, you. But the Holy Spirit, one of his main ways of working in our lives is one another. Okay, Not through Phariseeism, though. So the first word we see here is joy. Now, this is an interesting word, kara. And this joy that we're speaking about, I mean, the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17 is defined as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So joy is part of our kingdom inheritance. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy will be full. Notice, it's my joy will be in you. This isn't an earthly joy. Now, there are earthly joys. And, you know, some earthly joys, they're neither good nor bad, they're indifferent. So, there are joys and things that, 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 that make us happy, you know, and it'll be different for different people. Sometimes people enjoy music. Or people enjoy sporting events, or, or they enjoy certain food, or they enjoy certain relationships. You know, all those things are fine in themselves, but they're not what Jesus is speaking about when he speaks about his joy. I mean, Jesus' joy is like this. In Matthew 5.11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely, Say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. I don't know about you, but if people were speaking evil against me, even if it was because I was a Christian, if they were insulting me, persecuting me, and just spreading lies and rumors, I don't think I'd be very happy. I know what I would be. I'd, I'd, get, I'd be very depressed. But what is Jesus talking about? He is talking about something that obviously must be a fruit of the Holy Spirit because this is not natural joy. What is this? This is, and, and, and when I speak about the fruit of joy, I don't think I have much of it in my life, if I'm going to be honest with you. I want more. I don't properly understand it because I don't think I have much of it. Not that I'm a miserable old whatever, but I, I, tend, to carry, I tend to be more... Uh, 
more of a Jeremiah than, say, a, an Ezekiel. I tend to be thinking of how everything's wrong and how it's all awful. That's just my nature. I need more of this, you see. And um, what this joy is, but there's times that this joy is the joy of the kingdom. So it's rejoicing over things of God. I remember when I was at university and I was, um, I was uh, newly saved at university. And one of the first things I did as a newly saved person is we did a youth camp and took people in from one of the mining villages into Durham and we took one of the colleges at holiday and we had a week with them and we did a lot of things. They were rough kids, the ones that came and um, nothing much was happening. It was okay. And, and me and my friend, we said, you know, we've got to give them the gospel. And other leaders weren't really believing in the gospel and it was all a bit weird. Well, anyway, one morning... We just called them together, me and my friend, and I just stood up and told them the gospel. It was the first time I ever preached, if you like. There was just a group of about 20 kids in a breakfast room. I just told them about Jesus. And every single one of them responded to the gospel. There were tears in their eyes. The Holy Spirit came. I felt joy. I'm not saying all of them stayed in the faith, but you know, there was a response. And then a year later, I took two of the young lads, some of the toughest lads who'd given their lives, and I took them to a Pentecostal revival meeting outside Durham with my friend. And they were there uh, at the back, and, and the Pentecostal guy, he gave an altar call, and they went forward, they don't, you know, which I thought was great. Let them, let them go forward until they, you know what I'm saying? They went forward. He, he put his hands gently on their heads, and then pow! They went over in the power of the Spirit. Something inside me leapt with joy. And I was sitting there, I was, and all of a sudden, it was like electricity. I can feel a little bit of it now, not much. but my, I mean, literally, electricity from the top of my head down to my... And I was like, and I said to my friend, Mark, I said, who's a canon in the church, I said, Mark, this is really weird. Well, I said, the moment where they went down, I just felt this joy inside me. And now, it's like, I'm looking, my, my whole body, it's like electricity running through me. It was the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I hear a testimony, I feel joy. You ever heard someone give a testimony of what God did in their life, or salvation testimony, something inside you? It's the joy of the kingdom, or the joy when someone is on the platform, or someone is prayed for, and God does a deep work in their lives. There's a turnaround. When someone says, I want to get my life sorted out, and you, you begin to see change in their lives, it's a joy to disciple someone, isn't it? If they're open and ready for change. And it's a joy to see people change, isn't it? isn't it? It's a joy to see people step out in the things of God. There's a joy about that. And, and you know, there's no greater joy than winning someone genuinely to Christ. I'm not saying that religiously. Isn't it true? If you've ever won somebody to the Lord, isn't it the greatest joy? Yeah? So you're agreeing with me. that There's nothing like it. Why? It's a jo- because it's a joy that comes out of the kingdom. It's an eternal joy. It's a kingdom joy. Now, joy is therapeutic. And, and in difficulty, it's interesting how in church history that the most joyous saints were often the most hard-pressed. I remember watching a clip quite a few years ago of revival as it was spreading through China and all the house churches that are there. And there was a clip 
of a Chinese prayer meeting, a secret Chinese prayer meeting in the house. It was crammed full. I mean, they were on their knees and, and they were praying and there were tears of joy running down their faces and they were, they were just the most amazing thing to see. And those people had lost loved ones. Those people were being persecuted. Those people had little. What they had was being taken away from them. And I'm looking at them in a prayer meeting and the joy that is in And I'm thinking to myself, I've never experienced that. I remember watching that. I remember reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is a, a history of people that died for the faith. And other books about people persecuted, people being in prison for, for decades and things like that. And you read, and one of the things that you notice is they're joyful. They've got a joy. They've got some happiness that we don't have. And how come... If you go to some parts of the world, which I've been and maybe you have, and you go to some of the poorest churches, and you go into one of their services, and they begin to praise the Lord, the joy levels are incredible. They've got nothing. Some of them don't even have a pair. Of shoes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do, don't you? Some, they don't even have a pair of shoes. And we're complaining that we didn't get bumped up to business class on the way over. You know what I mean? That type of thing. And they just, they're under so much pressure, they have so little. But then when it's time to rejoice, the joy levels are so high. And then you think about the Western church and how miserable we are, generally speaking. Not you, but you know. I mean, we, we have more depression in the church than we've ever had before. We have more moodiness in the church than we have before. More depression. I mean, here I am, meant to be a leader, saying I don't have much joy in my life. Just trying to be honest with you. And so we've got, but we've got everything. We've got so much. And yet our joy levels, generally speaking, are so low. And then people who are Christians have got so little, their joy levels are so high. Why is that? Because maybe it's because all they've got is the Holy Spirit. And that they're not trying to get, temp well, they've got no temporary joys to run to. The only joy they've got is to meet and praise the Lord. Only joy they've got maybe is to read their Bible or to seek God. It's all they've got. They don't even have TV. They can't even watch I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here tonight as it starts. Got it on record. So they can't even enjoy those things. I don't know, maybe it's not fruit of the Spirit. Anyway, don't judge me, I won't judge you. Yeah. So joy. So this is something. And, but there are times when we taste of this joy. Have you ever been in tears in the presence of the Lord? That's joy. Have you ever meditated on, on the good things of God, whatever is good, whatever is fine? Have you ever thought about heaven? Have you ever sat down and count your blessings? I love that old song, count your blessings one by one. Because when I remember, it can get me out of like navel-gazing. When I sit back and I count my blessings, hey, I'm alive. Do you know? I'm alive. And then I begin to count my blessings. Little ones, big ones. And as I go through them, things get a little bit more context. This is why Thanksgiving is so important. Thanksgiving brings joy. Thanksgiving on Sunday and next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, a whole evening of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving brings joy. Just try it. Try it after the service or try it later tonight. Or try it. Next time you pray, just thank God out loud. Just thank him and thank him for things. And just see how it begins 
to change you? Because most of the time, we focus on other things. Well, I could go more into that, but I'm just giving you a feel of this. So this is a joy of God. This is a joy of knowing him. This is a joy. And this joy comes from him, so much so, and and I want more of this joy, because I want to be able to be put in difficult situations and not get down. Because I'm I'm like this. might not show it, but I'm like this. Up, down, up, down, depending on circumstances. I want to be in a place where my joy is Jesus where my joy is God, where I know where I'm going, where the things of this earth don't affect me so much, where I can be steady and joyful and rejoice in the good things. The next uh, one that we look at is peace. And this word peace in the Old Testament is shalom. And so this peace, having joy, and now is peace. What is this? This is a peace, shalom, which means wholeness. The wholeness of God, the peace of God in our hearts, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that comes from God. This peace, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now this peace is an increasing wholeness. And this peace, what is this? This is a peace on the inside that as it grows, no, no tribulation on the outside can penetrate. Well, that, that's where we're going on this. So this peace is a wholeness that comes from going deeper with God. We've been speaking over the last few weeks. Colin has been preaching on going deeper with God. So when we talk about peace, we're talking about the peace that comes from God. Now, how do you get peace that comes from God? How do you, how do you get this? Only in his presence. When you are disturbed, you need to take that to God. The only way you're going to get peace in your life is if you go to the Lord. So when I feel great disturbance in my heart, when I feel at dis-ease in my heart, how am I going to deal with that? Just turn it off, ignore it? No, I, I need to take it to God and say, you know, God, I'm really troubled. I'm really troubled. I'm troubled about this or I'm troubled about that or I'm troubled, I'm troubled, I'm troubled. I'm not at peace. And the only way that I can get peace is to keep speaking to him about it and praying about it until I feel I've prayed through. You know what I'm talking about? So when I'm really, really troubled, I'll take it to the Lord. If I don't take it to the Lord, then I just get more and more troubled, more and more troubled, more and more troubled, more and troubled, more troubled, more troubled, more troubled. So you've got to take, you're going to have to take it to the Lord sooner or later, these troubles. You're going to have to take them to the Lord. And I lift my hand and say, Lord, I'm troubled. I'm troubled about this. I'm troubled about that. I'm troubled about the other. But Lord, you're in control. You're the Prince of Peace. You're in charge. I pray your will be done and your kingdom come. That's my most common prayer. You say, the whole of the, our Father? No, sometimes, your will be done. Your kingdom come. So I'm troubled about a situation. I'm just, your will be done. Your kingdom come. I don't know what it is. But Lord, you've got a will in this. And I just pray it. And, I, and then after a while, I feel a sense of peace. Feel like I've prayed. What more can I do? I've brought prayer brings you peace. Prayer brings you peace. But this isn't just peace in troubled times. This is an attitude of wholeness and peace. Because uh, hurting people hurt people. Broken people break people. And one of the most one of the saddest things is somebody who's broken who doesn't realize it. 
or doesn't know that they need wholeness. I need wholeness. You need wholeness. What areas do you need wholeness in? What parts do you need healing? You need to be aware of these things by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God that searches us. What areas in my life do I need wholeness in? Because they're going to hold us back and they're going they're to stop us from having peace. Because what God wants us to be is whole on the inside. So hurting people hurt people. If you corner a wounded animal, what will it normally do? Strike out at you. Why? Because it's hurting. You might be going to help it, but it perceives you coming near and its weakness and it hurts. And so hurting people will lash out. And what that can do is cause, is, is that lashing out can become part of somebody's personality. You've got a hurt in your heart, an area that needs healing and wholeness. But what's happened is it's become part of your personality, part of your character. That's why you're maybe an angry person. Or that's why you're an envious person. Or that's why you're a jealous person. Or we're talking about the flesh, aren't we? Because hurts that aren't healed will end up being met by fleshly means. And so again, what do you do? You identify these things. It's not going to change overnight. God's not asking you to change overnight. He's asking you to live day by day. Sufficient is the grace of the day thereof. So you don't have to think, oh, I've got this to sort out, and that to sort out, and this to sort out, and the others to sort out. Relax. Because God, if you're open to him, is working on you. And so God knows exactly what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Knows exactly. Knows the joys, the happinesses, the tests, the trials, the annoyances, the petty things that go on you. He knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. He's totally in control. And guess what? Tomorrow is your next day in growing in the fruit. And so you say, tomorrow, whatever happens my way, and you think of the principles, and you say, Lord, and then somebody comes in, and annoys you, and you go, ah, okay, this person is really annoying me. Ah, God is doing a work in my heart. And you acknowledge what's happening. You don't just think, this person's annoying me, I'm going to annoy them. You say, something's happening through this. Everything's for a purpose, my friends. And with God, everything is for a good purpose. And God's primary work in your life is not circumstances, it's in your heart. God's primary work is to produce joy, a joy that comes from him, a joy of the kingdom. His primary work is to bring wholeness and peace. Because the greater wholeness we have, the easier life will be in the sense of being able to cope with it. You hear what I'm saying? That's enough on peace. I'm just giving you a, a sample. We could do a whole series, um, uh, probably, you know, on, on each. Patience. Patience. Now, this word, patience, is not what you think. It's not just simply counting to ten, or, or what a patience. He's got the patience of Job, although that's similar. This patience is a very, very strong characteristic. It comes from the Greek word makrothumia, which means long-temperedness. And what this, what this is, is, it means a holding out and never giving up. The Roman soldiers were, told, were spoken of, of having macrothumia. The Roman soldiers, why? Because they'd never give up. They would never make peace under a defeat. If they got defeated in battle, they wouldn't make peace. They'd go away and they, and they would wait until they won the war. They would never, ever give up. Never give up. Look at Job, the patience of Job, macrothumia. He never gave up, did he? I mean, his wife said, curse God and die. 
He never gave up for 40 odd chapters. Never gave up. Jesus never gave up. And you see these fruit in Jesus. You see the joy of Jesus, don't you? He was a man of sorrows, but he had a joy. He, he rejoiced in his father, didn't he? That's why he spent so much time in prayer. That's where he got his joy from. You can see he was totally whole. He could be totally who he was with people. He was totally whole. And that meant that he could bring wholeness to, to other people. And he went through so much, he never gave up. He sweated blood rather than give up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you, and again, I remind you, this comes from the Holy Spirit, not yourself. So when you, anybody ever feel like giving up? Me too, each week. Every week I feel like giving up at least once. Well, what do you do? You just go and say, God, I feel like giving up. I've had enough. I've had enough. I feel like giving up. But then you talk to him. But you are Lord. You know everything. You know how much I can take. You're in control. I bring these things to you. I submit my life to you afresh. You begin to have a conversation. You begin to have a psalm. You begin to praise and say, Lord, I'll, 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 do, I'll do another day for you. I'll do it. Lord, I'll... I'll keep going. I'll keep on going. Help me, Holy Spirit. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can help you. Sometimes you can look back in your life sometimes and see periods. You think, how did I ever get through that? You look back, how did I ever get through that? It was the Holy Spirit. So this is a tenacity. This is a strength. It's great. Wouldn't you like to have more joy? A joy that people couldn't rob? Wouldn't you like to have more wholeness? To walk whole? Someone comes to you hurting and you don't react back because you're growing in holiness, you try and think what's going on in that person's life, instead of, you know, hurt, hurting, hurt. And then the next one, I just, just give you this, is kindness. Now, you have kindness and goodness. And basically, kindness and goodness come together. And again, kindness, it's not just English politeness. Would you like some more tea, Vicar, or anything like that? Kindness is an attitude it's the way that you approach people. Often it's translated goodness. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy to turn to me, Psalm 69. For the Lord is good and his, good and his love endures forever. But you, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your name's sake out of the goodness of your love. Don't remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. So God's kindness, it's translated goodness there, is his attitude towards us. Now, of course, the fruit of the Spirit is also how God treats us. So this is attitude towards. Thank God he has a good attitude towards us. It's the kindness of God that's meant to lead us into repentance. God's attitude towards us is one of kindness and goodwill, correct? So when we speak about kindness, it's not just kind acts. It's your attitude towards someone. It's your attitude towards them. Are you for them? Are you their supporter? Are you on their side? Are you rooting for them? Are you cheering for them? If they come to you, are they coming to someone whose disposition for them is kindness. So this is your attitude. So when you've got a bad attitude with somebody, God is doing what? He's working on your kindness. Whenever you have the opposite 
at work, God is working for the positive. So if, you, if, you, if anybody here is thinking, oh God, I've got, I'm really jealous, I'm really angry, I'm really envious, oh God, this is terrible, I feel so condemned. Don't be condemned, there's no condemnation. God is working on you to be the opposite. It's God at work, it's the enemy at work. Yeah, but it's God at work. Remember earlier on in Galatians 5, the flesh wars and fights against the spirit. And the spirit wars and fights against the flesh. So when you feel anger or jealousy or lust or any of these things, don't be defeated by the fact that you're feeling it. Don't feel condemned. Know that the enemy wants you to go down that route, but God wants to work the reverse. So when you're bitter against somebody, God wants to work kindness. He wants you to have a kindly attitude towards them. So when you're angry or bitter towards somebody, you have to say, okay, Lord, you, you, want, you want to work on my heart. And, and as I said, that doesn't happen. You don't just pretend you're kind. It's not an outward work. God works from the out. So you have to genuinely deal with this. This is all, Lord, help me. I am so angry at that person, Lord. But mind you, if you're angry at me like I'm angry at that person, remember, the way you treat others is the way that God treats you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So as you are giving mercy to people, God is giving you daily mercy. Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you shall be judged with the same measure. That means that if we're judgmental or angry or bitter with people or gossiping about people or doing anything like that, guess what? We are storing up a good telling off from God. Things aren't going to go well with us. There's a big discipline stick coming. If you hold grudges, if you keep notes on what people have done and keep files on people in your mind or whatever about what they've done in the past, God, every file you keep on someone, God keeps a file on you. Oh no, I've said forgive now, forgive us our trespasses as every person you keep a file upon in your mind, you keep a record of wrongdoing, you have got a record of wrongdoings before God that are not forgiven. You go into heaven, you're his child, but that's going to come and visit you. That's why some people are miserable. Because they're keeping all these records of other people's sins, and they're why isn't it working for me? Because God's keeping a record of your sins your daily sins. He loves you, but you're being judged with the measure that you're judging others. <laughs> be merciful. Be kind. I think I'll finish on, on the generosity and then we'll come back to this next week and then move on. So the, the next one, kindness and then goodness. Now, this word goodness is actually the best way to talk about it is Generosity. It's about generosity. It can be translated goodness, but whenever it's translated goodness, it's about a generous thing being done. So um, they ate this, talking about Nehemiah, they ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. And this is the word for generosity. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness, Nehemiah says. In other words, your great generosity. And so, this word is a generosity of heart in action. So, kindness is your attitude. 
Am I this person's supporter or their enemy? Am I for them? How am I going to treat them? How am I going to, yeah? That's your attitude. That's um, kindness is your attitude. Goodness is your openness of heart. It's your generosity. When, when, thank God, God has a kind attitude towards us that when we're all messed up, when we're all over the place, when we're all out of sorts and we turn to God, is he going to hit us? No, he's going to help us. He's got a kind, the kindness of God leads us to change. So whatever state we're in, we turn to God, what's his attitude going to be? Kind, if we turn to him. Turn to God, he'll turn to you. Draw near to him, draw near to me. So if you've got a list of everybody's sins in your book and keeping a record of everyone, you haven't turned to God, have you? But if you forgive others, you will turn to God. You're merciful, you'll receive mercy. So this is a generosity. This is a, God will often lead you to do acts of generosity. Or you will feel to do generosity. And it's not just financial. It's, generosity can come in many different ways, can't it? There's a generosity of spirit. There's a generosity of forgiveness. There's a generosity of nature. There's, there's a miserly, mean-spirited nature as well, isn't there? This is the opposite of that. So, again, when you, when you, when you don't feel like being generous... When, when you feel the opposite, selfish, God is working on what? Your generosity. So whenever you find a negative opposite trait in your life, you don't get condemned. You say, I'm feeling this because God wants me to act that. God is bringing this out of my heart so that I can be cleansed and healed to a deeper level. Now, I remember one time, and I, I had bitterness in my heart. And so it took me quite a while to deal with that bitterness in my heart, if I'm honest. But I did take it to the Lord, and I kept taking it to him, kept taking it, kept praying it through, and then next day I had to pray it through again. But I was aware of it. And so the last thing I was going to do was do a bitter act to the person that I was bitter against. I was aware of it. Being aware, just being aware is half the battle, isn't it? Self-awareness, Holy Spirit awareness. So I was aware of it. And I was working it through, which made me specially careful when I was around or near the person. Because I was aware I had bitterness in my heart that wasn't right. So I had to be careful of my motivations. Wisdom from above is first pure in motivation. So I was aware of that. So that was helping already. Uh, you know, just being aware. So I'd do that. And after a week, and after a couple of months, it was dealt with. I mean, it was, I was free. It was so wonderful. Any issues that needed to be dealt with, still there. But the, I, I could honestly say I was, I was free from bitterness. It was so wonderful. I prayed it through so many times that God had healed me from that. And I felt free. I felt wholer. And, and I felt so much better. I thought, this is what life's all about. And then a year later, I woke up one morning. I wasn't in the best state of mind. We have good days and bad days, don't we? And then... I was speaking to my wife, and I then I started speaking about this person, and I ruined our lunch together, because by the end of it, I felt bad. She wasn't happy. I was meant to be taking her out for a meal, you know. And I, I thought, where did that come from? I thought I'd dealt with that. And I thought, you know, that just shows you I need to keep relying on you, Holy Spirit. And it went, I mean, it didn't stay there for, for months again. You know, I dealt with it by the end of the day. But I thought to myself, you see, there's deeper levels, isn't there, that God can go to. 
This is what God wants for our lives. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to, to become, and I'll talk a bit more about some of these next week, and, and then we'll move on to being led by the Holy Spirit. For the, this is what God wants. And, and the more fruit in our lives, the better our lives will be. I'm not talking about circumstances. I mean on the inside. I mean, don't you want to be so whole that whatever happens on the outside can't rob you of your wholeness? And that's what I want. I want to become wholer and wholer and wholer so I can be more of God to other people, so that I can be making less mistakes. And this is why forgiveness is so important in the body of Christ, because we're all making mistakes. I don't mind if people make mistakes, and I hope people don't mind if I make mistakes, because that's what it's all about. But I think what we should mind is if people aren't focusing on what God's focusing on. So somebody that's seeking to be healed in their heart that makes a mistake is on a journey. But say a Pharisee that's not even seeking to be healed or even aware of that, well, that's a different kettle of fish altogether, isn't it? Jesus' problems with the Pharisees is that they thought they didn't need the fruit of the Spirit. He says, I've come to heal those that are sick. You don't need to be healed. You don't think you're sick, uh, so you don't need me. And, that, and, and even though Jesus was tough with the Pharisees, it was his last attempt to reach them. Last attempt to reach them. Because they were so far away from what he was doing. Because they were not thinking of the heart. They were thinking of the outside look only. What people thought of them. Yet, they were as wicked as anybody else in the secret places. It was their public presentation. God works from the... God bless you all.